Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, where we come to you five days a week now, uh, delivering, we hope, actionable fantasy advice for you to apply to your drafts. We are in peak draft season right now. It has begun, and my guest today is someone who just participated in the same draft weekend experience that I did, uh, though in a separate division of the King's Classic. Uh, we're going to be talking to Kate Majuk, uh, who you should know from the Ball Blast podcast from ballblast.com. You should know her work from places like Roto World, like 4 for 4. Kate, hello. What's going on? How you doing? Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for thanks for jumping in. We were so we were as I mentioned, we were both in the King's Classic uh, drafts this weekend. And I believe it was a year ago that I met I met you for the first time at the King's Classic after party. Normally, this thing takes place at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, which, you know, as soon as you can leave your home again, everybody should go. Uh, The Pro Football Hall of Fame is wonderful. Most halls of fame are wonderful. Canton is really great. It's just an absolutely wonderful experience for football fans. We do these drafts there every year. One is a traditional snake draft, and then it's followed by a, a salary cap draft. And the the weekend is really fun. This whole thing was was thrown together a few years ago by Bob Lung and by uh, Yahoo alum Brad Evans. They invest a lot of time and effort into it, and it's really it, it's one of the it's one of the highlights of my fantasy football year. So uh, it's been really good. So we met at the uh, B Dubs at the after party. I was not in perfect uh uh lucidity at, at that moment for which i is that what the kids are calling it these days i don't, I don't know what the kids are saying because i don't i don't really <laughs> interact with the kids anymore but uh i, I believe it was brad some combination of brad and marcus grant maybe maybe i was overserved. uh we'll, we'll just call it that I, I feel like i spent most of my night we were talking about this before i feel like i spent most of my night following around this dude who was wearing a Joyke Bell jersey, which I like, maybe I hallucinated it. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure there was a guy there in a Joyke Bell jersey. And I just couldn't I couldn't get enough of it. I loved the idea that somebody was wandering around Canton, Ohio, wearing maybe it was Tatum Bell, but I think it was Joyke Bell. Maybe it was Joyke himself. Where else but Canton, Ohio, honestly. I, you, <laughs> the B-dubs is, is the meet and greet spot. Um, that was a, a super fun event. That was sort of our first uh, time crashing an industry event because we were not uh, we were not participants in in the King's Classic draft last year, but we heard of the after party. So you know what Michelle and I did uh, picked up some business cards and, and forced them into all of your hands while we were sitting <laughs> there uh, with drinks, and it was a, a fantastic time. But 
honestly, word word of advice to anybody looking to to sprout in this industry, just just go go for it. Get the business cards, crash these events, and and see where it takes you. Yeah, I can actually guarantee that's why that's why Brad uh, wanted to found that league in the first place was just so there could be one place where um, you know, kind of in the middle of the country, where people could just come and and crash a, a fantasy draft, and they would meet. People from a variety of different platforms, not just the major platforms, but a whole bunch of, of fantasy outlets. So anyway, it's a really fun event, probably my favorite draft because we're doing two different styles. I feel like the first thing I want to talk about is actually the the salary cap draft. Um, and, and I want to talk about just sort of your general strategy for spreading around the the two hundred dollar budget that we get in a league like that, um, in, in that sort of format, you know, I think I think most people who work in the fantasy industry would would consider it their preferred format, right? Because everybody gets a shot at every player. It's not you, you don't have the inherent uh, unfairness of a snake draft. We did that too, but you know, this is one <laughs> where we all get to like throw down prices and values for individual players and everybody gets a shot at everybody else. So are you typically somebody who goes in and, and thinks stars and scrubs in a league like that? Or do you want to balance the salaries a little bit? Do you budget, you know, I'm going to spend X on quarterback. I'm going to spend X on, on uh, wide receivers. I'm going to spend, I hope to spend this on the running back position. Do you, do you take it that far? Um, what is your general approach? It looks like I was joking about this before. It looks like you guys just say, okay, we're going to buy Zach Moss at any cost and then we'll figure out the rest of it. Any cost. Honestly, so, you know, we did this draft second uh, mm-hmm. to follow up. Uh, we did our, our snake draft initially and then moved over to the salary cap draft. And when we were looking back at our roster, you know, the one thing that stood out to us was we we didn't feel like we had enough running backs. So I feel like we were a little biased to load up on running backs really early. And I think it actually worked to our advantage because we got to dip into the the running back pool a little bit sooner. The position scarcity wasn't necessarily there. We got Derrick Henry really early, um, got him for forty four dollars, which is is incredible considering you know a guy like Zeke went for seventy. You know, obviously Derrick Henry might not have that PPR upside, but I think because we were we were willing to dive in on some of these positions a little bit earlier. We were able to to maximize our value there and you know get them before the 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 pillar falls off and everybody goes for a mad deep dive for yeah. for running backs and spend all all kinds of crazy money. So you you felt like even after getting Zach Moss, you should go ahead and, and get another running back too. Like that didn't fully lock down the position for you. <laughs> Zach Moss should absolutely lock up the position for us for for twenty twenty. Obviously. Um, I do think, you know, I, I think his his redraft value will be understated in, in virtually all formats because I think he's going to have the touchdown upside this year. But something to be said for just those sort of bulldozer backs, uh, they're, they're so great to build your teams around because uh, I think, you know, we found throughout the draft, the, the running backs, you know, they they went off the board early. They were nominated early. And uh, soon enough, there was a scramble because we realized there were none left. But the wide receivers, they just, it's, it's a never ending pool of yeah. value. And there's so many wide receivers that, um, you know, I think if you do pay up for those running backs that you can um, maybe allocate your funds for the wide receiver position a little bit more on, on budget and, and really diversify your, 
your roster there. You're making me feel pretty good about the the price that I paid for Zeke Elliott in my we're in we're in separate divisions of this thing. There's like there's like three separate divisions. It's a big sprawling league. Um, and, and in mine, I did not have to spend seventy dollars on Zeke, which is great. I think I got him for sixty three. Um, it it kind of takes me to one of my I don't know. I put together a list of things that I think are maybe they're not guiding principles for salary cap drafts, but they're things that I generally like to do. And the the first item on the list for me. I didn't execute it perfectly in King's Classic this year. I did last year. Last year, I thought I did a really good job of it. But one thing I always like to do is is to try to build a roster that is impossible to construct in a snake draft, by which I mean, I want to get two guys who can deliver first round value. And and maybe I want to get two more guys who are who are second or third round values, right? It's the sort of, just the sort of team that unless you're in like a hometown draft and people aren't very sharp, like there's no way you could possibly draft it. I think last year, last year in, I believe the league that I won, I purchased both Saquon Barkley and Julio Jones. I think those are my two guys. And those weren't necessarily the two perfect picks, but once you got to the playoffs with Saquon, you were probably going to win because he gave you 400 yards and however many touchdowns, four or five touchdowns in, in the fantasy playoffs. So that's the kind of thing that I generally like to do. And I, I, have a, I have a take on football drafts that I don't know if everybody else shares because I, see a, I, I always see people in salary cap setups like this clearly try to save a bunch of money for the end game. And they want, they want late leverage uh, in this sort of format. For me, it just doesn't matter at all in, in football. Like, I, I just don't care about the difference between the $2 guys and the $1 guys. We're wrong about so many things in football that saving a few bucks for, for the very end of, of this sort of format just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, one of the things that I, I like to compare this to is like in a, in a deep baseball league, the difference between that $1 guy and a $2 guy could be like, 300 or 400 plate appearances. That's like a starter versus a non-starter. And it, for me, it just never feels that way in football. So I don't know, what is your approach? Did you guys, did you guys kind of save the hammer for, for very late in the, in the bidding or do you, I, I mean, the, the way that I almost always end these things is my last five guys are, are a buck each. That was exactly how we approached it. You know, I think the, the biggest takeaway for us was to, to walk away from this draft with, players that that we have a lot of trust in, and like you said, sort of maximize your your value in drafting as many of these running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, whatever position you're looking at, getting as many of those earlier round guys at, you know, a value price. So, you know, we we went for James Conner, Mark Ingram, all these, you know, sort of mid-tier guys that, you know, necessarily, you don't have to pay the the Zeke premium for, but that could still, you know, return tons of value in redraft leagues. I think that was sort of our approach, you know, who are the heavy hitters that, you know, we can acquire for, for lower draft capital. Yeah. I'll say uh, a handful of other things that I always, that I always like to tell people about this style of draft. I don't don't know that I got anybody in particular uh, by, by taking this approach uh, in King's classic, but I'm always a super active bidder particularly at low dollars on almost everyone, unless I'm like viscerally repulsed by a player, um, I'm going to be throwing out some bids early because you, you just never know. There's going to be one or two times that the bidding just stops and somebody gets a, like a filthy steal on a player and everybody's like, Oh, why, why didn't we, why didn't we keep going? I, I, I got Tyler. Boy- we'll talk about the Cincinnati Bengals with you a little bit later because you, yes, you, we hate, will. Cause you hate them all. 
Um, but I got, <laughs> but I got Tyler Boyd for $14 and that was just, I'm kind of agnostic on Tyler Boyd, but I mean, it's $14 for a player who's almost certainly going to get a thousand yards this year. You may not think so, but he's <laughs> almost certainly going to get a thousand yards this year. I really like him. It's, I mean, it's a PPR. He's a slot receiver with Joe Burrow. It's going to be fine. So sometimes the bidding just stops and you end up with a good value. So I always like to tell people to make sure to be just as active as possible. Are you guys, are you guys the sort of bidders who you're really only in on the players you love or are you just, you just lobbing bids out there all the time? I, I think I have more of the quick finger. Um, I, I was always quick to pull the trigger. Um, there were several times that Michelle actually moved the mouse away from the draft, uh, from the bid button so that I couldn't <laughs> just, you know, click that auto button because I, I do, I, I'm a jumpy person. I'm, you know, I, I like to make those impulsive decisions. You know, I, I, I think <laughs> we had a lot of fun, um, you know, in terms of winging it, right? Like we, we, we went all out in that regard, but I definitely think there's a, a price for every player, right? Like same, same thing for, you know, your, your standard drafts. If a guy, you know, falls far enough, there, there is value to be had. Um, you know, for instance, like a, a David Montgomery, he's so icky, right? And <laughs> nobody wants David Montgomery, but at what point in the draft does he become a value? Because he's a starting running back because he, had so many carries inside the five last year. Like there's a point yeah. where that becomes, you know, a, a worthwhile pick. And I think the same goes for uh, salary cap leagues, just in terms of, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a price point that everybody hits where they're a value. And if you, you see the bids starting to slow down, I'm nine times out of 10 going to jump in and, and pull the trigger just because. I'm I'm not one who you know there, there's a certain amount of of groupthink in the fantasy industry and and very very few people uh, if anyone in our industry at all is going to advocate that you, you know you be the first person to to draft a quarterback anywhere that you you spend early draft capital on a quarterback um, but my I will say that my thought entering the Kings Classic was this is going to be a really good opportunity to get either. Mahomes or Lamar Jackson in a in a salary cap style draft because I know I'm not going to have to deal with like hometown pricing. Like I'm in I'm in a handful of leagues that are virtually the same style as Kings Classic, same number of teams, 14 teams, roughly the same depth everywhere. And I just know that Lamar and Mahomes are going to go for 40 plus dollars. Um, there's just, there's, I'm going to be, I'm going to be out on them so early. There's not going to be any opportunity for me to get them. But then I also know if I get in an industry league, nobody wants to be the person who spends $20 on a quarterback. Right. Um, yes. So I ended up, I ended up with Lamar here. I was, I was, I was pretty active in the bidding for both Mahomes and, and Jackson wanted to get one of those guys. I got, I got Jackson for $20. Um, which again, it like, it's not perfect. I can't compare it to like what my college buddies will do in a, in a similar league, but they are going to spend, you know, I'm, I'm in this league that it's me, Brad Evans, and then just a bunch of guys that Brad seems to know from high school. Right. And the draft often takes place <laughs> in a garage and, you know, everybody's drinking old natty school. lights and yeah, it's super old school. And I just know that in that format, which is very close to King's Classic, guys like Lamar Jackson, if they if they go up for bid, are are going to go in the forties. So it just feels like such a value to me to get him for to get him for for twenty dollars here, and we don't have to go full projection on him. But then the thing that I like to do after you fill a position like that, I think my next ten nominations were the next ten quarterbacks on the board because I just didn't want anybody else. Like I want to make sure 
after getting him at $20 that like nobody got Kyler Murray for five, that nobody got Russell yeah. Wilson for six. And they didn't. Those guys all went for pretty reasonably hefty prices, right? Like north of at least double digit prices. Um, so I, I will generally do something like that as well. But it seemed like you guys went uh, both in the both in the snake draft and the salary cap, like you went pretty cheap at quarterback. You know, we that was probably one of my my bigger regrets in the, the salary cap format. I'm always a late round quarterback person. And, you know, that is partially industry group think. But also, I, there's just so much value at the quarterback position, especially in, um, you know, a, a NFL where, you know, we we do have a number of teams with with quarterback battles underway. Um, you know, there's there's lots of potential there, but I do wish I we would have bit on on one of those quarterbacks like a Lamar Jackson like a, a Patrick Mahomes because when I look at sort of the the final draft board you say you got Lamar Jackson for for twenty dollars Ronald Jones went for twenty one dollars <laughs> right, and right, when you think right. about the fact that Lamar Jackson is essentially a standalone value at the running back position and then you get to play him as a quarterback that's absolutely wild. And yes, I would rather have Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson over Ronald Jones. Yeah, that's a good um, man. I would prop that like Lamar Jackson is probably going to finish with more scrimmage yards than than Ronald Jones. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. No, like no doubt about it. I, I think he'll he'll beat him out in the ground in 2020. And I, I think he'll, you know, he'll he'll grossly outperform that at twenty dollar price that you got him for. So I, I really wish, you know, we ended up with Orion Tannehill, who I, I like at a, a price of $2, which I don't think is um, as bad at all, considering that he was a top five quarterback in the games that he he started last season. Um, I know everybody's sort of projecting regression, but even if, uh, you know, we, we take away some of that efficiency, he still should be a good enough, good enough quarterback that he can have a top 12 finish, um, you know, so while I like the value there, I do wish we would have ponied up, um, you know, maybe skipped out on one of our, our running backs. Uh, you know, we we loaded up Derek Henry, James Conner, Mark Ingram. You know, we we got all those depth pieces, but I, I kind of wish I would have just paid up for Lamar because I I would rather have Lamar than Mark Ingram. You know, like, it, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I just figured buyer's remorse. This was the this was the one sort of salary cap format where I where I just knew I was going to be able to get a quarterback and not have to pay an, an absolutely ridiculous price for it. Because if you paid twenty dollars, it doesn't it doesn't take you out on any other positions. Like I could still throw money around at wide receiver. I could still throw you know I you can have a twenty dollar quarterback and still get a sixty dollar uh, running back. It didn't take me out anywhere else. It wasn't like it wasn't like throwing down forty five dollars for Mahomes or something like that as you would in a in a hometowner. I want to talk about the the snake draft a little bit as well. Like I kind of went the same way. It's full PPR. I should I should have said that probably twenty minutes ago. It's full PPR. So um, going receiver heavy is not is not particularly weird here. Like it is a format that that tilts a bit toward receivers. You guys opened with Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill. Um, which on my board is the number one and the number two receiver overall, which is obviously that's pretty great to do in, in full PPR. Would you have would you have done that from any draft spot or was that really just a function of picking sixth and all the, the big five running backs are gone and ooh, there's Michael Thomas? Um, I definitely think it was a product of the draft position. So, um, you know, when you, you have that that upper echelon running back who's no longer on the table, I, my goal is to get the best player available on the board. Um, you know, this was also, in addition to being full PPR, it's a, a three wide receiver league. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, if I'm looking at, at those those sort of draft positions, Michael Thomas, clear cut best, you know, best wide receiver on the board. Um, trust him a little bit more than, you know, even the running backs to follow, like Nick Chubb, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. But then Tyreek Hill came back to to just fall for us. You know, I I hate to leave the first two rounds, generally speaking, without a, one of those upper tier running backs. But, you know, it, it's sort of a matter of taking what the draft gives to you. Uh, yeah. The draft gave us Tyreek Hill. I'm going to take Tyreek Hill and, um, you know, I'll, I'll do a modified zero RB strategy and, uh, you know, find find some later round values, you know, a couple r- rounds down the road. And, you know, Tyreek Hill, easy, easy top three potential in 2020. I'll take that all day. Yeah. Well, talk to me about, so the first running back that you took there, oddly enough, in the third round, you did not go Zach Moss. Um, excellent restraint <laughs> on your part. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sticking to sticking to ADP, you went, uh, you went Jonathan Taylor, who maybe it's, maybe it's too much to call him a polarizing player. I think he's, this isn't his best format. I'll say that, like the at least the way that I I project out the season. P, full PPR is not necessarily Taylor's best format. He's obviously uh, an exciting rookie running behind perhaps the best offensive line in football, though. So, give me give me the full um, pep talk for Jonathan Taylor, third round pick. So this is actually um, this is one of the players that Michelle and I uh, disagree on a little bit more. Um, I'm a little less pro Jonathan Taylor because I. Um, you know, I, just in general, I'm, I'm very off of rookies this year. I know the, the narrative, I think, has swung a little too far um, in the anti-rookie direction. But in general, I, my goal is to temper expectations, especially on teams that have a capable uh, running back or capable wide receiver ahead. Like Lamar Jackson, you know, he, he's got, you know, Marquise Brown. I, they don't need to force Devin DuVernay into the lineup, yeah. you know. It, it all depends on, you know, sort of the immediate needs of, of that team. So when I'm looking at like the Colts, you know, they, they've got Marlon Mack. And though he's not exciting, he's not a sexy pick whatsoever. He's not a, a you know, a game changer necessarily. They're also playing behind one of the best offensive lines. You have uh, Naeem Hines, who's a just a built in third down running back. So those are all my uh, reservations here. But, you know, when. Michelle brought me back to is honestly just the the preseason evaluation. He was both of our running back ones, uh, you know, in this draft class, and he's just such a good pure runner. And I think once you know, once he earns that role, whether that be you know week one, week two, even week four or five, it, yeah. it doesn't really matter. I think he will win the job, and I think that if he's running behind that offensive line, he will be unstoppable. So that was a move that you know I. I was talked into, but more so for the the potential later on in the season, because I think he is going to be a, a back to certainly win some people some championships in 2020, even if he gets off to a slow start. Yeah, I, I will say I feel like his um, almost his worst case scenario early in the season in, in September, early October, probably still looks a little bit like um, David Johnson as a rookie where yeah, he's he's running behind somebody and he's not getting maybe he's not getting 15 touches a game, but his touches are sensational. Like there's just yeah, I mean, he has he's one of the few guys in the league right now who has like legit track speed. You put that behind the Colts offensive line, which, you know, if you get you, you run six times behind the Colts offensive line and on one of those carries, a mile wide rushing lane is going to open up and 
unlike, you know, Marlon Mack, as you say, good player, um, completely serviceable running back, um, you know, paint by numbers guy, knows where to go, all that. Jonathan Taylor can turn a, a wide rushing lane into a 40 yard gain where, you know, Marlon Mack might be the guy who picks up 15 yards. That's great. Um, that can be a home run for Jonathan Taylor. So I, I am pretty excited about the player. I don't, I don't have a lot of exposure to him yet, though. Um, there's just there's just always somebody there that there's actually there's always a receiver. He always goes in exactly the moment where I'm where I tend to be targeting uh, a handful of receivers. I think the next guy that you took in the snake draft and I want to I, I want to start getting into the people that we each took in both leagues. Right. I think that the next guy you took there was was A.J. Brown. You can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but A.J. Brown, I believe, was somebody that you landed in both leagues, uh, and it was the the full list of those guys. Shockingly enough, Zach Moss, you get in both leagues, um, DJ <laughs> Shark, and AJ Brown. So, talk to me about those three and, and your expectations for them. I think I think some people would feel like maybe AJ Brown is also not a like he doesn't get a huge PPR bump, right? He might not be somebody who sees 140 targets, but uh, clearly he's the number one in Tennessee. Oh, he's absolutely the number one in Tennessee, and I think. You know, what we have to look at is just the fact that A.J. Brown, you know, he was the first wide receiver uh, since the year 2000 to manage a thousand yard receiving uh, on fewer than 100 targets. And that's that's just the beginning of what what this guy can do. He's phenomenal after the catch. You know, I I do think that we have to, you know, expect some regression, like we said before, about, you know, just with the Tennessee offense in general, really how can it possibly be so efficient? I, I don't think that it necessarily will continue at that level of, of efficiency, but you got to project that A.J. Brown is going to grow in the realm of targets. I haven't projected for 120 targets, and I don't think that's that's unreasonable considering the the role that we saw him play. You know, I think towards the the end of the playoffs when they stopped uh they stopped passing period you know they they were yeah. just running the ball and i think honestly like the the scale i feel like tipped too far in Derrick Henry's favor i think that they really seemed to work best when they really balanced the pass balanced the run um and i think they're this perfect yin and yang uh, but i definitely think that you know AJ Brown's got the prototypical, you know, wide receiver abilities, but I think he's going to see a higher target volume. And from what we've seen already, he's, he is a wide receiver one. I'm just throwing volume on top of that. And he's an easy top 10 wide receiver for me in 2020. Yeah. 120 targets would go a long way towards smoothing out any, any regression that we might otherwise expect, right? Like that would be a huge spike in targets and totally reasonable. Um, even for a team that's probably not going to throw the ball 600 times, um, he is so clearly the the number one. It's almost a, it's almost like the McLaurin situation in Washington, where you know, yeah, they have Johnny Smith, but they like the the gap between number one and number two, whoever number two is, is just is just an absolutely it's it's a mile wide. So I, I agree with you on the targets, and that should again, if he can't sustain the touchdown rate, which he probably can't, it's not going to matter if he sees 40 more targets than he saw the year before. I want to talk about DJ Chark here as well, because I feel like we fundamentally agree. He was my, in the salary cap draft, he was my number one wide receiver. I view him as a, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm the highest person in the industry on him, but I have him as my wide receiver nine, because I, I think that's where he was last year. I'm, I'm fairly confident that he was a top 10 wide receiver up until the point that he injured his ankle late in the year, and then he had some down weeks, and he didn't actually finish inside the top 10, but uh, Chark and Minshew were phenomenal together. 
uh, hell, Shark and Foles were phenomenal together for the for the brief period of time that they that they were that they shared the field. I think he's great, and he's not only is he the clear number one on his team, he's also like a, a freakish mutant level athlete, right? Four three speed. He's one of these got Jonathan Taylor speed, and he's already a brilliant wide receiver. So I'm super high on him. You landed him in both leagues. Give us the give us the full scouting report. Yeah, we uh, both me and Michelle are, are super high on DJ Chark. Um, And again, I think he's going to be one of the greatest values in 2020 fantasy football leagues. Um, You know, in a lot of places, I'm getting him in the fifth. Uh, I've even gotten him as late as the sixth round, which is absolutely sinful. It's bonkers, Um, yeah. He is is the glorified wide receiver one for his team. Um, We're going to look at, you know, a a sophomore season for Gardner Minshew, who um, I, I think he showed a lot of of flash. It's not all in the mustache. I think he, he showed some nice playmaking ability last season and, um, you know, another year maturing in the quarterback role, you know, another season with the playbook. I actually think Jacksonville sort of this underrated offense this season. I also like Leonard Fournette for that matter. You know, when I'm looking at offenses that I'd like to draft, I'm also looking at sort of what are those stable offenses that maybe aren't going to see so much change and um, you know, who hasn't seen a lot of turnover. That's, that's Jacksonville, right? Yeah. Like the, the offense looks really similar to what we saw at the end of last year. You know, you, you've still got all the ancillary wideouts. You know, I, I think there are so many other offenses that, you know, they might have sexier options for your picks, but you can't deny the connection for, for DJ Chark and Gardner Minshew isn't there. And, Honestly, the, the it's it's really about the draft capital, right? Like even you know, it, it, I can't I can't imagine another wide receiver that uh, goes after DJ Chark that that has that sort of true wide receiver one upside. And you know, I, I really think it just comes down to what he's able to accomplish and uh, that price you can draft him at because it's it just doesn't compute. Yeah, I, f- I feel like you um, in both uh, in targeting both Tennessee. It sounds like you, you know, obviously you, you landed uh, some exposure to Henry and AJ Brown and, and Tannehill, and then to Jacksonville as well. You're also targeting offenses where the the sort of usage tree is just very narrow. We know exactly where the football is going to go. Like these, are, these might not be elite NFL offenses, but there's just no question where all the carries and all the targets are going to be. Yeah, I think that's um, you know sort of been how I've been approaching this off season. Cause this is weird. Like <laughs> we, we don't like, this is yeah. so we're in odd times. You know, I think that, um, you know, it, looking at what, what can we most reasonably proje- project? Um, you know, we can most reasonably project the things that we've already seen. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what we've seen in these offenses like Tennessee, like Jacksonville. Um, you know, I think there's just, there's a lot to be said for just stability, right? Because we have had none of that this season. Yeah, to your to your point on what a weird offseason this is going to be, just in the time that we have been recording this podcast, not that podcasts are great places for breaking news, but <laughs> Gerald McCoy may have torn his ACL and Jalen Hurd Ooh. may have torn his ACL and AJ Green has a hamstring injury. Like it's like, that's the other part of an off season like this where the players were away from their teams for so long and they just didn't have their normal buildup. And we saw this after the lockout in 2011, like injuries just spiked right away. And so a little, little bit worried about that as well. And it seems to be going down so far in, in camps already. 
the other guy I want to talk about here, we, we had to talk about him at some point is Zach Moss. Um, of course, with the exception of ball blast, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm really high on him relative to consensus. I, I'm too much of a coward at this point to have him actually above Devin Singletary, but I have, but I, but I have him close. Like for, for me, a lot of the, a lot of the Moss hype has been like the, a lot of the Moss hype, I should say that I've been sort of spewing out into the world has a lot to do with what Devin Singletary doesn't do. Like Devin Singletary was a really good runner last year. He was a very efficient runner, not an efficient receiver at all. And he was barely a rumor, but most importantly, he was barely a rumor when they got close to the goal line, right? That was, that was Frank Gore and that was Josh Allen and Devin Singletary had almost no role. And I think Zach Moss can be a big part of what they do when they get in goal to go situations. And, and I think he probably slides into that Gore role. Give me, instead of my, my take on Moss, which is mostly, here's all the things you're not going to get from Devin Singletary. Tell me why we should actually be excited about Zach Moss, the player. Oh, Zach Moss, uh, you know, he is a guy that just watching his film out of Utah, super excited. I mean, he is literally like a, an absolute bulldozer. Um, he compares so well to a guy like Kareem Hunt. I think uh, Michelle actually told me, they go, I think they went in the same exact draft slot in their respective drafts, which is very weird. It's a good nugget, um, yeah. But but they definitely, they have so many similarities to the way they run. Um, you know, I would say Zach Moss, you know, I, I think one of his biggest knocks is, you know, speed. But if you are, you know, able to stiff arm a guy and and get out of his way and, and make your way down the field, it it might not necessarily matter if you have that, that breakaway speed because, you have the strength to, uh, you know, evade those tackles naturally. Um, he's just one of these guys that he always seems to get those extra yards. And I think that's going to make him super valuable at the goal line. It, literally every sticky metric you can find, Zach Moss really excelled at. I think he was PFF's uh, second running back uh, this season. And, and they've they've ranked pretty well overall in, in terms of their their rookie grades. But honestly, I think Zach Moss is just going to uh, provide some of that size and overall they're they're pretty similar players Zach Moss is a better receiver yeah um, I, I just think that the upside you know particularly in redraft is going to be you know his ability to score touchdowns you know unless Devin Singletary uh, breaks off a run which is not out of the realm of possibility you know he's not going to score touchdowns they they made it very clear uh, anybody who was watching the the Buffalo Houston game last year was screaming right along with me, like just put Devin Singletary on the goal line. It's not working. Yeah. Um, you know, like Frank Gore wasn't getting it done. And guess what? They still gave him the reps. I don't think it was just a, a factor of the fact that Frank Gore is a legend. I think that they didn't trust Devin Singletary. And I think, you know, the fact that they went out and then drafted a guy like Zach Moss that I, I think it speaks a lot about the coaching staff, right? Like that's not their intended way to use him and whether or not he has the build, he's, he's definitely a smaller back. Zach Moss has a little bit more weight on him to, to fit more of that prototypical size of a running back. Yeah. You know, we can debate all of these things, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the coaching staff and what they think of these players. And I feel like they've, they've sort of spoken on Devin Singletary. 
Yeah, I, I, I very much agree with that. I feel like it's it's just screaming out that uh, Moss is going to slide into something that is pretty close to what Gore was doing, and he's probably going to do it better than than Gore did last season. Um, it, and if he doesn't, I think I have to delete my Twitter account. You may have to rebrand uh, Ball Blast yes. and, and resurface under under different names, because you guys are very much all in on Zach Moss. <laughs> I respect it. Where where do you have those guys respectively in, in your ranks? Do you do you have Moss over Singletary? I do. I actually, um, I believe I have Singletary right around running back 29 on the season. Shocker. I have Zach Moss as running back 23 and have PPR formats. Oh, wow. Which, okay. So he is literally, quite literally for me, a, a running back two um, that I'm able to draft in like the eighth round right now. Surprisingly, Michelle is actually a bit lower on Zach Moss. I think she... Uh, expects more of that that carry load to you know just naturally follow single Terry, but I think you know touchdowns are everything, and I do think that all of those opportunities. You know, Josh Allen, he he definitely uh, scored some rushing touchdowns last year, but a lot of that was on the back of the the fact that Frank Gore wasn't getting it done. So yeah. you know you can only give it to Frank Gore so many times <laughs> before there's about to be a, a turnover on downs. So. Um, you know, those are those are the times that Josh Allen then took it into his hands and, and got it in the end zone. But I, I definitely think that there's just so much opportunity in this offense. You know, you you saw, it, I, I think, a, a nice leap from Josh Allen last season um, in comparison to the season prior. I just think they're starting to to gain a bit more of their identity and the touchdowns alone. That's that's where I I see the the real gold mine being for for Zach Moss and. Plus, you, you can't discount that receiving upside. Yeah. You know, this is incidental um, to any sort of fantasy conversation. It's not even really applicable to your fantasy life. But I I hate that Frank <laughs> Gore is going out this way. Like, I hate that Frank Gore has become such a punchline because like young Niners, Frank Gore, the worst thing that we can say about him is he wasn't quite as good as Ladanian Tomlinson at the same time. But he was in the conversation for for the second best running back in the league, third best running back in the league, like in his prime years. And I just I just feel like we're we're gonna look back on Frank Gore as um as that old man who hung on like six years too long and and <laughs> and he was just a guy who racked up stats off of uh longevity instead of like young Frank Gore was so good. That's all I have to say. Not that you can go back and draft the Frank Gore of 2007 or whatever, but young Frank Gore was so damn good <laughs> and was a Hall of Famer in his own right. Um, and if he just hung it up uh, five years ago, we would have none of these negative impressions of him. And it's so interesting too, because I, I think we're, you know, we're in this age where we are see, seeing players uh, play a little bit older. Um, you yeah. know, we've got legendary Tom Brady, you know, we've got, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip River, like all of these guys are, are getting to the point where, where maybe they should hang up the cleats. But it, it's sort of, you know, if if your body technically, physically enables you to do that, it's hard for these. I, I can't imagine how hard it is for these guys to let let their careers go, because I, I mean, just everything that I've been exposed to football is life for, you know, it, fake football is my life. But <laughs> football is is like seriously, seriously their life. So I, I can't imagine that Frank Gore is going to have a, a an easy time whatsoever when the time really comes to say like, Frank, we're done. We're, we're moving on. Yeah. But, on, the, on the other hand, I'm all for it. Like do the thing you love as long as you're able to physically do it. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty on board with that. And I also think it's just valuable for us to see the full arc of a career. Like if Tom Brady retires, I don't know, after the last Super Bowl win, 
then we then we don't get to see a more human side of Tom Brady, which inevitably we are going to get to see, right? Like, you can't do this. I mean, he, <laughs> if he's good this year, he's already going to be the only good 43-year-old in the history of the game, right? Like, at some point, he he really tails off. He, ha- I mean, he technically has to by by just virtue of the fact that, like, he is human from what I've heard. <laughs> I still I won't believe yeah. it until I see it, but... You know, there is something to be said for, you know, is it is it more worthwhile to have that that longevity in your career or is it better to to go out on that high note like you're saying Frank Gore should have done? It's it's like this. It's it's a terrible place to be. It's like a rock yeah. and hard place. Before I let you go, I, I have to get to um, I, I was just listening to the podcast where you guys went through the AFC North. Right. Yes. Um, and my goodness, like, okay, you're Steelers fans. I get it. But the, <laughs> but the absolute, absolute dislike for Cincinnati. I mean, the, I would say the central theme of that pod is that you just hate, hate the Cincinnati Bengals. AJ Green, <laughs> Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, you guys are out on all of them. Um, if, if your brand wasn't so closely tied to Zach Moss, I would say that your brand was also tied to Joe Mixon hate. So let's just discuss the the anti-Cincinnati rage for a moment. Yeah. Is it, um, is it about so anything it, more than fantasy? Did you have, like, are there bad experiences in Cincinnati with that stupid chili they eat or anything? Like, is there something more than, <laughs> than football here? Yeah, the, um, what is it, Skyline Chili? Skyline they put chili. Like chili on spaghetti, which I, like, that... From a texture standpoint, like that doesn't work out. For I'll just me. say, as a Midwesterner, um, every Midwestern big city has some just weird food plate of that they think of as their local delicacy. <laughs> like they're all bad. Oh, absolutely, and you know, I think for me, especially this season, you know, Michelle's definitely been one that's you know been lower on Mixon than than consensus. He's definitely got the volume. Uh, he's exceeded 280 carries in each of the last seasons. And I, I think the the tough part is what does that offense look like with Joe Burrow? You know, obviously that should mean um, their offense is taking a step up. But when you have a, a rookie quarterback there, you know, the, the tendency, generally speaking, is to lean on the run. Um, that should work in, in Joe Mixon's favor. But the issue is that we've already seen the Bengals lean on that run, right? Like he's already been utilized in that workhorse role. You know, I I did some research looking back uh, since 2010, there have been 16 quarterbacks to start 14 or more games in their rookie season. Um, You know, the only wide receivers uh, on the receiving end of those quarterbacks to exceed a thousand receiving yards were uh, Reggie Wayne, Steve Smith, Mike Evans, AJ Green, and Brian Hartline. Um, otherwise, only oh man, 31, blast from the past. Wow. There you go. Um, no wide receiver in that group exceeded seven touchdowns on a season. Um, you know, I, I think the, the thing that you're looking at is you, you have to expect that there's going to be a learning curve for Joe Burrow. You know, I, I think that even for a guy like Tyler Boyd, who saw the volume last year in particular, um, saw 148 targets and he only finished as the wide receiver 23. So if I'm, you know, looking at a, a guy right there using Yahoo ADP, it right around that same exact draft capital, we've got a guy like Marquise Brown who, um, yeah. you know, we hear is fully healthy and we saw his upside, right? We saw his upside in week one. Um, you know, we right around there too, Michael Gallup, you know, a guy that I think um, 
most people are just generally down on because of CeeDee Lamb. But, you know, with the departure of Randall Cobb, with the departure of Jason Witten, there's plenty of targets to go around in that offense. I think they're going to keep slinging the ball. When I'm looking at, you know, certain players over certain players, my goal is always to try to get that upside. And I don't think that any of these these Cincinnati Bengals capture that, right? Even, even with Joe Mixon's best season, uh, he hasn't exceeded RB9 and half PPR formats. Yeah, I think I'm actually pretty in sync with you guys on Joe Mixon. I think he's a really good player, but he, for me, he slots in as like RB12 to 14, and I feel like I kind of bounce him around between those two. I, I can't get on board with Joe Mixon as, as the RB7. I, I have really talked myself into into Joe Burrow, and I was I was pretty bullish on him from the start. And I feel like by the time we're really at the end of draft season, I'm going to, as I said, with my Zach Moss rank, I'm a little bit of a coward. I'm still a little bit of a coward on Joe Burrow. <laughs> I want to get him ahead of Josh Allen. I have no doubt that he is a better quarterback right now than Josh Allen. I also think he has it's not even sneaky. Like we, we saw him in the biggest games of the college football season. He's a, he's a really good running quarterback. He's not, maybe he's not Josh Allen good as a runner, but as a passer, they're not even comparable. Um, and I, I, I hope, I hope I, I find the courage within myself to get, <laughs> to get Joe Burrow above Josh Allen in my ranks. Cause one good, one is good. And the other, in, in my opinion, is not really an NFL caliber quarterback, except he does some fun things and they have everything else around him that you could possibly need. So um, I'm, like I'm way in on Burrow. Um, I'm surprised. I love, I love Burrow. I think he's going to definitely flip that offense in the long run. But like, even it, you just said it. Like uh, news happens so fast, right? AJ Green already coming down with a hamstring injury. As soon as he had that ankle injury last season, I figured he'd be down for a long time. It 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 looked like a nasty, nasty injury, and he has the age factor, right? Like these guys don't rehab in the same way that they do when they're 23. You know, like we said, there is that full sort of career trajectory. And I, I worry that AJ Grant, AJ Green is on the wrong side of that. Yeah. I guess my other thing with, uh, with Burrow is that he's stepping into a situation that, and, and I, I need AJ Green to be healthy for this to work out. Right. Like, which is good luck. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's not a great bet. Didn't play it all last year. Is hurt right now. Got hurt during this podcast. Maybe that doesn't necessarily support my argument. But between Bad sign. Yeah, between Boyd, who, you know, again, I like I've also talked myself into really liking the slot receiver with Joe Burrow. He targeted Jefferson 134 times last year, it was 111 catches. So I think there's a I think there's a chance that that Boyd finishes this season with like 95, 100 receptions. I think that's definitely in play. I just think Burrow for every you look back on the entire history of quarterbacks who get drafted number one overall. There are very few that have stepped into a situation that is that is this just sort of ripe with talent, right? Like um, high level receivers around him, perhaps a, a defense that's not exactly going to hold opponents to 10 or 13 points every week. And, and you know, running backs who probably aren't going to be high volume receivers, but can catch the football. There's just a lot of weapons around Burrow. And I I may have said it on this podcast before. I know I've said it uh, in, in other places. If this were a normal offseason, I would bet on Joe Burrow breaking Andrew Luck's uh, single season rookie passing yardage record. I, I think he's that good. Oh, I think he's he's definitely um, just come into the season, you know, as pro ready as you could hope a rookie to be. And you, you do have to think about like if we had that normal offseason program where yeah. he really could have that that full time with his wideouts to, um, you know, get those those smaller, smaller things like the timing and 
and other things down that that he could, like you said, with AJ Green healthy, have a phenomenal season. Um, but even you know what, like if the offense ends up being, you know, inefficient this year, so that's not always a bad thing for for quarterbacks. You know, there is garbage time is worth everything. Um, garbage time got Blake Bortles to the quarterback four. I like, was just going to say that Blake Bortles season taught us that like 650 pass attempts will smooth out a lot of uh, inefficiency. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was I was really hoping to to better ambush you on the Cincinnati Bengals, but AJ Green getting hurt literally while but we I were talking. But I recruited you, right? <laughs> That was just good timing on my part. Yeah, that didn't that did not help at all. You can follow Kate um, on Twitter at FF Ball Blast. Um, do you have anything to plug? What's coming up? Uh, yeah, we are working on lots of cool stuff. So our brand Ball Blast Football just merged with uh, another podcast, uh, the Fantasy Red Shirts. So we are uh, collaborating. We've got a, a writing staff that's just cranking out awesome work. Um, you know, we've got premium betting articles. We've got full full team projections we're we're really going all out to get um you know everybody prepped for their fantasy football drafts over at uh ballblastfootball.com check it out um i built the site myself which i'm pretty, oh, pretty no way. excited about wow. i i'm no web developer but uh you know if any web developers are out there check out the site let me know how i did <laughs> um but you know we're we're just so ready for the season and and whatever we can do to help uh you know everybody in these wacky wacky times we want to do it so we're we're super excited for what's next to come well thanks again for joining us kate um please folks check out the yahoo sports nfl podcast with charles robinson and therese paler check out the yahoo sports college podcast with wets with Thamel, with pat 40 from si and check out scott pianowski and occasionally myself on the yahoo fantasy baseball pod um that is going to be it follow us on twitter at yahoo fantasy huge thanks to brett Rader, our producer i am as always andy barons um tomorrow matt Harmon uh will join you on the forecast that is it until then we are out I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcast and be sure to follow us on social media at skullduggerypod